Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say that we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you episode 107 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast focused on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. Tommy, I don't know about you, but I can barely, it, it's, it, it takes every fiber of my existence to just keep my head above water right now. I feel like I am so busy. I am always behind, and uh, you know I, I'm just happy that I was able to make it to the chair two minutes before we were supposed to start today. Yeah, we're basically in that sports equinox time <laughs> yes. period, right, where we've got so much happening. The crossover between basketball and football just wrapped up Major League Baseball World Series. The NBA is going on, the NHL. I mean, there is, there is so much happening right now as we get into the kind of the Thanksgiving week. This is our final episode before Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, of course, just a lot to break down, a lot to get to on the show. Well, and also we do want to make you aware of all the ways to listen to the show. Cogsports.com, Facebook.com, Keep of the Games at CogPod on Twitter if you'd like to follow us on the socials, cogpod.podomatic.com, and of course the audio everywhere, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, YouTube for to watch the, the videos, and of course those are posted on our Facebook channel, Google, Apple, so many more. I also want to let you know, you do not need to adjust your listening device. We are both, uh, we do not have the bass turned up <laughs> on the show today. Uh, we're both, we're not under the weather. I feel actually pretty good compared yeah, to this weekend. I feel fine. Um, I, I will say, uh, so I was working the KCAC volleyball tournament this weekend. Some of that pizza was a little bit sussy. So we wow. we had some issues uh, in that way. But other than that, we once we got over that, um, you know, but we are a little, I, I feel like we ought to be on one of those like Arby commercials that we used to have with Barry White. And like, we have the meats because uh, we yeah. are a little low today. I kind of like it because typically my voice pitch is a little bit higher. <laughs> it is. So mine. when I'm, and I was, I was under the, the weather a couple days last week. I feel fine now, but my voice is always the last thing to go. Like I get completely over a cold and then my voice goes away. So it's hanging on by a thread right now. I've got my trusty water bottle right here. Um, been pounding the cough drops. And um, yeah, so I, I, th I think we're going to be okay I think so. to get through this episode. I think so. I hope so because we. Uh, I'm calling, as people are watching this, I'm calling the Newman opener to, tonight against Ooh. Sterling. So I, I hope that I can make it for two hours. Plenty to this come is kind of like, we're, you and I are, are both kind of like Michael Jordan in the flu game back in 98 or whenever it was when, you know, he could barely get his way through, <sighs> but he powered, he powered you through. You have to. Um, and, and we're going to power through absolutely, on this show. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely have to. And coming up on the show today, we've got plenty of college football to talk, including KU and Kansas State. We've got Wichita State basketball, an update on their season that has just started. Of course, the Chiefs coming off of a big win last week. Uh, tonight, just to give you an idea of the crossover season that we are in, Kansas basketball is about to take off in the Champions Classic against Duke. You'll know the result of that. We do not. It's about 45, 50, I mean, these games... It's it's probably an hour and a half away because these games 
at the I don't know why the Champions Classic runs late every single year. It's two yeah. games, but they can never get the timing right. So I'm sure this game probably won't start till like 10 o'clock Central Time. But um, I don't know what kind of a sense you have. I know I'm I'm I have not had a chance to watch a lot of KU basketball. I'm excited to see the team. A lot of new faces. We had our college basketball preview a couple of weeks ago. People can check that out on the archive of the audio or the video. I don't know what we're going to glean from tonight. KU is going to be down three scholarship players. Bill Self is part of as part of his suspension. Self-imposed by KU is not even going to be there. I mean, maybe he's there, but he's not going to be coaching. So, and KU coming off of a national championship. There's not that kind of pressure or anticipatory nature of this game as, you know, oh, KU gets an early season measuring stick test against one of the three top programs in college basketball. It doesn't have that feeling to it at least to me is there anything that you're wanting to see out of this game tonight yeah I think so I mean there's a couple things Uh, we talked about it in the preview episode a couple of weeks ago about how athletic this team is they're long they're quick they're fast maybe more than last year too yeah it's probably a better shooting team than Kansas has had for a number of years Um, but the, the big Achilles heel potentially that is there for the Jayhawks is their lack of a true big man and how are they going to be able to um, overcome that on both ends of the court? Will it even be necessary? I feel like with the athletes that they have in Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson and um, you know Kevin McCuller, they have the potential to take over a basketball game almost to a point to where you don't even necessarily need to have consistent offensive production from the five spot. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to me uh, to be able to, to see if Kansas can make that happen or not. Uh, they played North Dakota State last week, and North Dakota State, while a Summit League team, they did have quite a bit of size. They had a, a center who I believe is 6'11". Um, you know, they, they, that was kind of their first test um, against an opponent that um, had somebody to post up. And Duke has several big men. Um, Kyle Filipowski is a freshman. Um, he's one of their big men. Uh, they've got a couple of others. And so how Kansas matches up with Duke uh, in that regard is going to be interesting. But I feel like if Kansas can frustrate the Duke bigs in the post, they can force turnovers and get out in transition. That's going to bode incredibly well for the Jayhawks because I, I think I think they're a step faster than Duke. I don't know much about Duke, but I think they're probably a step faster than Duke. They're probably a step faster than most every team out there right now. It's just a matter if they're going to be able to harness that and make the shots when they need to. Uh, it, it is. You look back at the last, think back to the last couple of teams. I actually had to look this up while you were talking. It's been a while since Kiyu has not had a real dominant center five man as part of the regular rotation. I have to go back, I think, in my mind, to 2016. Perry Ellis, that was his senior season for the Jayhawks. Landon Lucas was the only guy listed at center on that team. And remember, 2016, he was really not very good. Yeah, Landon, I felt like throughout his career, was serviceable, but he wasn't anything dominant. Until, until, well, okay, I get what you're saying. Even his Mm -hmm. last year, he wasn't. Udoka as a bookie. He wasn't no, David McCormick no, no. in his junior year. Wasn't Thomas Robinson. Wasn't no, Jeff, Jeff Withy. No, Cole but Aldridge. The, wasn't any of but those But in 2016-17, he was at least a he was a major part of KU's success. Sure. He was sure. not going mean, to. I remember there. Don't you remember there were times that Kansas had to play Perry Ellis at the five, um, kind of out of position, and that's not really where his strength. No, is. and that's team. Um, yes. 
I remember that. Yeah. That was Yudoka yeah, so, Azubuki's yeah. freshman year. I think he got hurt, and so Landon had to play a lot. And I remember in a lot of those, like that was the year that they played Oklahoma to like you know triple overtime and Allen Fieldhouse. And I remember thinking, when did Landon Lucas arrive as a guy that we just can't take off the floor? But we can't. We can't take him off the floor. He's such a good rebounder. He's hitting free throws. He's doing all of these things that help the team. So I go back, and yeah, it's been a while. So yes. Who will will anybody emerge as a true five this well, year? Yeah, we'll find and, out. And they've got KJ. They've got KJ Adams, um, who's been starting at the five, but he's, he's not, not a, a, five. a true. He's not a. He's more like a four, um, but he's been starting in that position. They've got Ernest Uday, who's brand new. Um, he's raw. Uday reminds me of a young Yudoka Azabuke, kind of that that talent, the size, uh, but just incredibly raw. He might actually be a better shooter than Yudoka was, which really isn't saying a whole lot because uh, you got Doke outside of two feet, and he really was, you know, not not anything. Um, well, especially the but, first front half of his career, right? He, exactly. It was, so it's going to be a liability. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how he develops throughout uh, the course of the season. Zach Clements uh, is injured, not going to be playing against Duke. Um, and, and so I, I wonder, kind of like what we just talked about, how effective will Kansas be? And I'm not really necessarily concerned about offensively in the post because they've got so many other weapons to be able to put points up on the board. You know, Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick, those guys can shoot from beyond the arc. They can pull up. They can finish at the rim. They can do all those different things. My biggest concern is going to be how does Kansas defend the bigs on other teams? And this is going to be a little bit different because remember, we had a long stretch of time, Blake, where Yudoka Azabuke and then David McCormick were the fives. They were true fives, yeah. and they were great in a lot of aspects. But one area where Kansas struggled with those guys was when they played uh, opponents that had fives that could stretch the floor. They were long, athletic, and quick. And Yudoka and McCormick were, were no. not. Uh, quick at all. So this team, I think, matches up a little bit better with teams that can stretch the floor with their bigs. It's just going to be interesting to me how they're going to be able to defend the post. And, you know, to your point, the Jayhawks were able to overcome that deficiency last year and still win a title with David McCormick, even though North Carolina in that game did have some guys that would go outside that McCormick had to guard. And of course, you know, unfortunately with Yudoka Azubuki's last team, never really got the chance in March Madness to yep. show that off. So, and also and, Cam and Martin not gonna, mi missing with the right. shoulder injury, separated shoulder. So the former Missouri Southern and Division II All-American still not going to make his KU debut, at least for a couple yep. of weeks. I think we need to get used to, at least offensively for Kansas, uh, the days, at least this season, the days of playing inside out are, are probably not going to happen. Sure. Uh, and I know Bill Self loves that, and that's what he's relied on, and he's relied on having a true big man for a long time. I think we might see a lot of outside-in play uh, this season with Kansas. And so um, I guess to, to follow up and go back to your original question, I do think there are things that we can glean from this Duke game, regardless of the outcome. Of course, as you mentioned, uh, everybody will know the outcome of the game when you listen to this podcast. Um, and next time we're on the show, we'll have more information about it and analysis. But yeah, I think you can glean how Kansas is able to play some elite level basketball with an elite level opponent. Duke is number seven in the country. They've got a guy by the name of Mark Mitchell, who was Grady Dick's teammate at Sunrise Christian. They played together as recently as a year ago. Uh, and now Mark Mitchell plays for Duke. And so I'm excited about that matchup. Um, overall, I think it's going to be some high level basketball. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how things how things play out. It is very, very nice, I will say, for once, to be in November 
and not be just talking about KU basketball, though. We have got a lot of KU football to talk about as well as the Jayhawks. Finally, for the first time since 2008, they are going bowling, baby. I cannot believe it. A win over number 18, Oklahoma State, 37-16 to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't know when the last time the Jayhawks beat a top 25 team is. Who cares? They've lost four of their last five. Who cares? The Jayhawks, Tommy, you know, we could talk about the Baylor loss. I think actually we've done a show since the Baylor game because that was a bye week. So we could talk about the Texas Tech loss as well. KU close, but just not quite over the hump. But against an Oklahoma State team, KU just kind of looked clearly like the better team. They kind of dominated. I feel like the final score was not really indicative of how lopsided the game was. But overall, the main takeaway, of course, is that KU in the year two of the Lance Leopold era is bowling. I I didn't have this. I don't think you had this. But, you know, this team continues to surpass our wildest dreams. And we don't have to listen to that question anymore. You, you had posed to me a couple of times of, well, what if KU loses the rest of their games and they miss a bowl? And we don't have to know what that's like. We're going to be in a bowl. We're playing December football, meaningful December football for KU coming up this season. And I don't think that's even enough for Lance Leipold. Uh, I'm sure if you were to ask him, there are two regular season games remaining. Sure. He wants to win both of them, right? Get, uh, and get the even next in my tier mind, up. Even in my mind, if you get one of the next two, if you get either Texas or Kansas State in the Sunflower Showdown, which, by the way, both of those matchups are going to be incredibly difficult. Um, <laughs> they but will. You get... You get either one of those, and you guarantee a winning record for this season, which that's incredible by That'd itself. Another at least, notch, right? At least right now, Kansas can say that that at worst they'll finish with a non-losing record. Uh, but man, it sure would be nice to say in year two of the Lance Leipold era uh, that they're able to have a winning record. That'd be that'd be pretty incredible. But yeah, overall, um, I mean, keep in mind Oklahoma State is kind of in free fall right now. Uh, they were a top 10 team as recently as like three weeks ago. They're not in the top 25 anymore. Um, they didn't look like a top 10 team against Kansas uh, or really Kansas State for that matter the, the week before. And they certainly didn't look like a, even a top 25 team when they played those two teams. So, um, you know, Spencer Sanders has, has been out with injury. Um, Garrett Rangel, who's a true freshman, started against Kansas in that game uh, in Lawrence a couple of weekends ago. Uh, but regardless, the Jayhawks looked like they belonged. They looked like they deserved to be there. Um, I was proud of the the Hawks on both, uh, in all phases of the game. Offensively, we know they can hang with just about anybody in America. They've got the offensive firepower. And we can talk about the quarterback situation too, if you want. But I think it doesn't matter if it's Jalen Daniels or Jason Bean. It's been proven that the scheme that the Jayhawks run and the personnel that they have, regardless of the starting quarterback, they can put points up on the board. Then, defensively against Oklahoma State, they were opportunistic. They forced takeaways. Garrett Rangel, I think he threw three interceptions in that game. That's what you get when you play against a true freshman. But the ball hawking ability of the Jayhawks was on full display. Um, it was a, just a complete and, and utter uh, beatdown by the Jayhawks. It really was. And it was a complete and utter beatdown that the Wildcats put on the Cowboys the week prior. So, yeah, it, it was a great win. They, they were able to seize that opportunity where they knew they needed one more game. The Oklahoma State game was probably going to be their easiest pass 
path to make that happen, and they took full advantage of it. They're going bowling, and that's just remarkable uh, in the overall trajectory of this program, what that means for the program overall, what it means for everything from facilities and exposure and recruiting, and then I think something else that's so important is the Jayhawks now get another month to stay together and practice. It's like 17 Uh, practices, I think. It's been a long time since that has happened, and I've seen coaches all over the country talk continually about how important, like you can't put a price tag on that extra practice, not just for the bowl game, but for the future as well. And so um, it's, it's a credit to the work that Lance Leipold and his staff have done, and it's a credit to the players that are in that system who are fully bought in. The defense obviously took a little bit of a step backward against Texas Tech, but certainly, you know, you look at every single game, KU was in the Texas Tech game. They've been in the Baylor game. They've been in the Oklahoma game. There's not a single game that KU has showed up in this year where you could say, you know, I was a little bit disappointed with their performance against Iowa State. I thought that they, the Iowa State, you know, is just so inept offensively. You would have liked to have seen them give take give all the the Cyclones the credit because they're a really, really, really good defensive team. Maybe you can say that that was a little bit of a of a downgrade, and and obviously you know the way that Duke season has gone, only beating them by one score. But at, you know at that point we're like we're four and zero. You know just inject this into my veins. But um, you know yeah, this Kansas team has certainly taken a turn. Um, I think one thing that has been a negative has been the field goals. The kicking unit has not been great. Borsilla is 9 of 15 in 12 games in 2021. Uh, you know, he's missed kicks this season. He was only 6 of 9 in 2020. You know, so the, the kicking game you know, is going to be something that I think needs to get an upgrade in the offseason season. At the quarterback position, Jason Bean has been limited in practice this week. Apparently took a couple of hits in the in the midsection. We saw Ethan Vasco come in. And I have to I have to admit, you know, seeing Vasco come in and run the offense, picked up a couple first downs, did not just look like he was just thrown out there like you know Montel Cozart did when he just looked like a deer in headlights when he got thrust into the spotlight for KU football and looked like he had absolutely no idea what he was doing. You know, Vasco moved the sticks. Didn't get any points, but he moved the sticks. Jalen Daniels, of course, is coming back. I think that he's the guy as soon as he is ready. But uh, it's amazing to have you know possibly three quarterbacks who look like they can play. What do you expect to see at the quarterback spot this week? Assuming Jason Bean is good enough to go, you know the record certainly has been way worse. But I don't think Jason Bean's played. You know, you look at five and zero versus one and four. I don't, or five and zero versus yeah, five and zero versus one and four. I don't think that that's a real fair comparison. I think Jason Bean's actually played pretty well over these last this last month of filling in for Jalen. Yeah, Jason Bean has done pretty much all you can ask for um, from him as the backup. Um, he has made some really really nice throws. And he's had some great runs. He's made some boneheaded mistakes. That's the knock on Jason Bean. I mean, I fumble uh, against Texas Tech. has been for a Tech. while. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it was not a good but, one. But, I mean, yeah, he's he's filled in pretty well. And, and not just fill in, because I feel like that's almost got a negative connotation. Sure. He's led this offense pretty well uh, in, in the absence of They went of up Jaylen and down Daniels. the field on Oklahoma State. Absolutely. That being said, though, uh, if, if Jalen Daniels is ready to go, Jalen Daniels starts. Uh, and I think that... 
they have been, you know, really, really cautious with Jalen Daniels for good reason. But if Jason Bean can't go or is less than 100%, I do think Jalen Daniels is probably close enough that they would consider starting him uh, this weekend against Texas. Um, But who knows? We won't know until probably closer to the game. Um, I do think a couple of areas that are that are Achilles heels for this team. And one area you already referenced the the kicking game. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think there's a lot you can do about it. No, probably not. You kind of have to live with Jacob Borchilla. Uh, Lance Leipold even said that they opened up the, that, that job and they had kind of a competition and Borchilla won the competition. So you're kind of, you kind of have who you have right now. Uh, But I guarantee you they're working on recruiting and figuring out a, a better uh, kicker moving forward after this season and then defensively for Kansas. And actually this is just an overall culture thing for the Jayhawks. They have got to stop falling behind early in games. That has been the trademark of this team. It happened back in the winning one. streak. It's happened multiple times. I mean, yeah, they fell behind what Houston? two touchdowns to West Virginia and one fell behind two touchdowns to Houston and one. Were they down to Duke? Uh, they, uh, I don't know if they were down to Duke, but they've been down. Mo- of course, they were down in the games they lost to. They were down against TCU at halftime uh, by a touchdown. They were down to Oklahoma. They were not down Baylor. to I mean, Duke early or not down big, at least. But they've been down big, multiple touchdowns in several games, including Texas Tech, the game this last weekend. And you know what? I think that for a while, especially during that winning streak, it was okay for fans to say, yeah, like this team falls behind by two scores, but just watch them. They're going to come back. They're going to they're going to make it. Well, OK, the, the next step in the development of the program is to not fall behind by two touchdowns yeah. early on uh, to actually come out and do what they did against Oklahoma State, but do it consistently. They didn't fall behind against the Cowboys. No. They jumped out to a lead and then they stayed in the lead. So that's probably the next long term step for this program as a whole is Lance Leipold developing this culture with the program and the understanding that we're not going to want to consistently be a team that falls behind early and then has to claw our way back late. Now, I will also say that part of the reason why they've had an issue clawing back in all these games, I think of Oklahoma and Baylor and of course Texas Tech, is because the defense is kind of Swiss cheese. They're opportunistic. They get takeaways, Very but they're not a lockdown defense. They're not a lockdown defense. They locked down Baylor in the second half, but they have not done they that did. from snap to snap. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, if you want to, and I don't know why you would, but if you want to be a team that prides itself on clawing their way back, you probably need to have more of a lockdown defense. So that's got to be a focus for Kansas, especially their final two games, because the two opponents are going to be super difficult in Texas and Kansas State. And then in the bowl game, you can't afford to fall behind by two scores or more. The other thing that we have to mention is the Jayhawk running attack, which has been like on steroids the last two weeks against Oklahoma State. The guy that, you know, our guy likes to call the real deal Devin Neal, 32 for 224 on the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys for a touchdown, averaging seven yards a carry. KU ran for 351 yards of offense. Jason Bean carried four for 93. And then against Texas Tech, Devin Neal goes 24 for 190. Did not get in the end zone, but still averaged 7.9 yards a carry. Jayhawks ran for 242 yards, 7.6 yards per carry. The upgrade at the offensive line is 
demonstrable. And obviously, Devin Neal has been getting more of the load. He's been asking for more of the load. He doesn't have – there's really not a second guy that I feel comfortable sharing the load with. If Highshaw comes back, which there's no indication that Highshaw is coming back and is going to be – ready to go this year. When Highshaw comes back, I love that one-two counterpunch. But for right knee, for right now, man, especially as a way, if you've got Jalen Daniels coming in, you need to get him comfortable. It's going to have been, you know, over a month since he's played since that Texas Christian game, you know, man, it would be great to be able to establish Devin Neal on the ground again because, I mean, he's hot right now and defenses have not been able to stop him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, I don't, I didn't understand why everybody was so up in arms when Daniel Highshaw got injured. Sure, Highshaw was a great, a great running back. He had kind of that bruising style. That ran very uh, well. Ran very well. I, yeah, don't get me wrong. That's that's not a knock on Daniel Highshaw. No, he ran the ball. He ran the ball. Yeah, great. he was running great. But the entire, but the entire time, I thought they've still got Devin Neal, and Devin Neal is a really good running back. I think we both uh, liked Devin Neal. More than Haisha. I've always liked. I've always yeah. liked Devin Neal. Uh, from the minute that I knew that that he was a Lawrence kid that was considering Kansas and staying at home and could be an impact player, of course I'm going to root for Devin Neal. Uh, so I was never like incredibly concerned. Like, oh my God, the season is over when Daniel Haisha went down with that injury. It was it was unfortunate, but it happened. And Devin Neal has responded beautifully. Um, I'm really looking forward to. The matchup this weekend when we can watch Bijan Robinson on one offense and Devin Neal on the other, and then in two weeks, Deuce Vaughn on one offense and Devin Neal on the other. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not, not looking forward to that from a KU defensive perspective because KU, True. there have been some times when KU has struggled to shut down the old run this year. So we will see. KU is actually in action against Texas this week. It's a 2.30 kickoff. It will be nationally televised on the ESPN networks. And then they just announced that KU, Kansas State, Sunflower Showdown, Thanksgiving weekend on Small Business Saturday is going to get a primetime nationally televised 7 p.m. kickoff. It's a kickoff in a game that will have more implications than maybe it's had for a long time. It should be more competitive than it has been in a long time. At least we certainly hope so, those of us in Lawrence. And it could be a game that may decide Kansas State's fate in terms of playing for a Big 12 championship which is yeah. where we turn next to the Kansas State Wildcats. Kansas State 2-1 and one over their last three weeks, and it's been a blowout win. They absolutely shellacked Oklahoma State back on October 29th for homecoming. And then, for whatever reason, just like Chris Kleiman owns the soul of Oklahoma, here come the University of Texas to rip the heart right out of Kansas State's chances probably at a New Year's Six game. Probably not going to happen now for Kansas State. They were as high as, I think, 13th in the college football poll for the college football playoff, and there was some thought like, man, if they can just run the table here, they've got the hardest part of their schedule is already completed. They can just get home to the Big 12 championship game. You know, could they somehow sneak into the college football playoff? But that's not going to happen now with that loss to Texas. They do come back last week by with a blowout victory over Baylor. They made the Bears look like they were a JV team. And, you know, right now, Tommy, 
I didn't want to get too hard on the bandwagon early because we saw Will Howard last year, and the Will Howard last year was not good. Um, and I didn't, you know, I think I was on the record as saying, you know, this guy can't be your quarterback. You know, we've got a pretty big sample size of Adrian Martinez on the bench and a pretty big sample size of Will Howard. Will Howard can play. And Will Howard is playing very well. And last week against Baylor, Will Howard was all over. 19 for 27, three touchdowns, zero picks. So he went all the way through Baylor in that game. Uh, Will Howard is playing very well. Adrian Martinez did play seven for eight for 25 yards. They brought him back a little bit. But, man, you talk about the quarterback situation and Lawrence feeling good about having Jason Bean there behind Jalen Daniels. Man, Kansas State fans, they got to be ecstatic about their quarterback situation as well. And then you got Deuce Vaughn going for 100 yards over Baylor. So it was a great bounce back. And because of some other happenings in the Big 12 standings, Kansas State is back in control of their own destiny. They can still make the Big 12 championship game to make it an all-purple final against TCU. Yeah, a lot to respond to uh, from all of that. Uh, first off, a tip of the cap to Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein, uh, which, by the way, say that five times fast. Chris Kleiman, <laughs> yeah. Colin Klein. Um, but a, a testament to them and their development in working with Will Howard um, because what he's been able to do from last season to this season is nothing short of remarkable. It's unbelievable. Chris Kleiman. And Chris Kleiman, um, people forget that he ha he's kind of a quarterback whisperer. Like, what he does is develop quarterbacks. Um, let's not forget, he developed Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. And Carson Wentz was an NFL draft pick and an MVP candidate. And Would have won. In my view, yeah. he's the MVP winner if he doesn't get his knee torn up right. that year. He was by far say the best quarterback that year. Say what you will about Carson Wentz nowadays. Now? Sure. Uh, but regardless... Uh, he turned himself into an NFL caliber yes. quarterback at North Dakota State under Chris Kleiman. Um, so he's a he's a quarterback whisperer. So what he's been able to do with Will Howard is just incredible. Um, as far as what this team has gone through the last couple of weeks, I have no earthly idea what happened to Kansas State in the first half against Texas. Um, it was like they didn't get off the bus. Um, they were absolutely punched in the mouth in the first half. It took halftime for them to come out and make adjustments, and they did a good job defensively adjusting and shutting Texas down in that second half, and they tried to claw their way back into it and came up just a little bit short. Um, they had a chance to tie the game with a minute left, and Adrian Martinez fumbled the ball uh, as they're, they're pushing down the field with like a minute to go. Um, but again, going back to that first half there, I had legitimate concerns. Like, it was weird because they blew out, not only blew out, they shut out Oklahoma they State. crushed Oklahoma crushed State. Them. But they, they kept them scoreless on the board the entire game. I mean, you, you never got then, the, you never thought that Oklahoma State even had a chance of scoring right. in that game. They it was it was total domination. Then all they do defensively is let Texas hang thirty one on them in the first half uh last week or two yeah, weeks ago. Bijan Robinson and, they they right, could not and, stop him. And it's not like, I'm not suggesting that Texas doesn't have other weapons because they do, but it's the B. John Robinson show, right? In that like game, that, it was B. That, John Robinson. They absolutely, Kansas State defensively absolutely needed to sell out to stop B. John Robinson the entire game. They did in the second half. They didn't as much in the first half. No. And the Longhorns burned them over and over and over again. So I had legitimate concerns like, all right, is this defense Jekyll and Hyde? Like, we know what they're capable of. We know that they are maybe or probably are the best defense in the Big 12. 
maybe, I mean, there are a couple, like TCU has a, obviously a good defense. Um, Iowa State has a good defense for the most part. But I, I would I would put Kansas State up at the top of that pedestal. But then I thought, man, they, they gave up 31 points against Texas in the first half. So I really, really wanted to watch this Baylor game to see how they respond. Is it, it was the first half the anomaly for the Kansas State defense or was the second half? And it was the first half because all Kansas State did was limit the Bears to three points. They absolutely stopped the run. I don't know if you followed much of Richard Reese, who's the true freshman at Baylor. Um, he's one of the the best running backs in the Big 12 as a freshman. Uh, he's going to be great in this conference long term. Uh, and they shut him down. I think he got like 54 yards on the ground or something like that uh, in, in the game against Kansas State. They did a really good job of limiting the run. Uh, and so I'm back up on that, that I don't want to say bandwagon, but I'm back up on the thought process that Kansas State's defense is elite. We know what they can do. It's just a matter of if they can do it consistently. I think they can. I think that first half against Texas was an aberration. Well, I think that they're gonna. I, I think that they're gonna pound West Virginia this week. That's my opinion. They're going to West Virginia. You know, Milan Pusker Stadium is not an easy place to play. It is a no. one o'clock kickoff on ESPN Plus. They also have some injury issues. Uh, Will Howard is going to get the start this week. That's actually breaking news from yesterday. As you're watching this, uh, reading this in the in the Topeka. Capital Journal, Chris Kleiman announcing that Will Howard is going to be the starting quarterback. Adrian Martinez got help, got hurt again in the Baylor game. Uh, so Howard is going to start. Kobe Savage, the junior strong safety, he is going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, he got a key interception in that Baylor game to stop that opening drive for the Bears near the goal line to really switch, uh, flip the momentum for Kansas State. But he is out and is not going to return for the rest of the season. So uh, I, I would not want to be you – know, I, I think that Coach Kleiman is going to rally this team. I think that they're going to get up for West Virginia. I don't think that they're going to look ahead to Kansas – I think that they are thinking, you know, week to week, game by game, they need to win each game each week for prime placement for the Big 12 championship. And I would consider it to be a massive, massive disappointment if they don't show up and beat West Virginia. Don't You don't have to, you know, you're not playing for the college football playoff anymore, so you don't need to win style points. It doesn't matter. I don't think that you're going to be able to get into the New Year's Six. I don't think that that's on the table anymore for Kansas State. But getting into the Big 12 championship, once you're there, if you're the Big 12 champion, maybe some of those avenues open up to you again so at the end of the day you've got to get yourself to the title match give yourself another chance against the tcu team that i think kansas state can beat not necessarily will but i think that they can beat so i think that it would be a massive massive disappointment if they lose at west virginia i think that kansas state will win impressively at west virginia i think it's absolutely the will howard show um not just this season but i think next season too um he has put himself in a position where Adrian Martinez, of course, will not be back. Avery Johnson comes in, and Chris Kleiman has the luxury to sort of let Avery Johnson develop a little yeah, bit. You don't necessarily yeah. have to start him as a true freshman. Um, so I think that, that it's it's going to be the Will Howard show. You've got a lot more confidence in that prospect than maybe you did a few months ago um, just because of what Will Howard has been able to do. Uh, yeah, you got to take it a, a game at a time. But the good thing for the for the Wildcats is where they're at right now in the Big 12 title hunt. It's absolutely TCU. They're not going anywhere. 
And so you've got one spot up for grabs and Kansas State has a game lead right now. So you all you've got to do is handle your business. You've got to handle it this weekend and you've got to handle it next weekend. Uh, and then it would also help Kansas State if the Jayhawks were able to beat Texas this weekend too. Um, so I would say for one week only, the Wildcats will want to cheer for the Jayhawks big time to help them play spoiler um, and give them a little bit more breathing room to get into that Big 12 title race. But I, I think ultimately all signs are pointing to TCU Kansas State in the championship. And uh, I know that the Horned Frogs beat Kansas State head-to-head earlier this season, but you put them on a neutral field right now with the Big 12 title on the line, I'm not so sure that it's a foregone conclusion that TCU wins that game. I think Kansas State has a pretty solid chance. Yeah, listen, TCU is undefeated, and I know there are a lot of people who have said, you know, where does this team rank? Is this going to be, you know, are they a college football playoff team? You look at who that they have who they have played on their schedule. They played nobody in the non-conference. They played Colorado, Tarleton, right. and Southern Methodist. So they get zero points for that. Um, and in their games in the Big 12, you know, their win against Oklahoma was certainly impressive at the time. But Oklahoma, as we as we have found out, is a little bit of a fraud. They only beat Kansas by seven. They only beat Oklahoma State by three in double overtime. None of their – they don't really have a signature like put our flag in the ground and say, look at us, we're TCU. They haven't beaten anybody in the Big 12 other than Oklahoma by more than 10 points. So, you know, there's they've got Baylor this week. So they haven't exactly been that impressive team that's just rolling people through the schedule. Kansas State is in second place at 5 and 2. They are followed by Oklahoma State, Baylor and Texas. It is a log jam in the Big 12 Conference this year uh, with Texas Tech and Kansas following then West Virginia and the Oklahoma Sooners down in second to last position at two and five, followed by the Cyclones at one and six. Key, real quick, before we get rid of this Kansas State game, uh, once again, it's a one o'clock game. You'll have to watch that on the plus this weekend. Uh, Kansas State developing and establishing the run game. West Virginia is sixth in rush defense in the Big 12, averaging 147 yards allowed per game on the ground. Can Deuce Vaughn continue moving in the right direction? Only had 74 yards in the loss against Texas. Was back over 100 in the win last week. So let's see if Kansas State can keep that moving in the correct direction. Moving on now to Kansas City Chiefs football. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag for the Chiefs over the last couple of weeks. But Kansas City does get... A big, big test coming up here on Sunday Night Football coming up this week. 7-2 and two are the Kansas City Chiefs. They're on a three-game winning streak. After a win that's maybe not so impressive over Tennessee, they get a pretty comfortable win over Jacksonville. That ne- Not necessarily a real, you know, something, again, not a plant-your-flag-in-the-ground kind of a win. Jacksonville's not really a good program. But uh, you look at what this offense has continued to do. While the defense has been... Kind of average, the offense, 486 total yards against Jacksonville, 499 total yards against Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, I think, is a good team, maybe better than people give them credit for. But this Kansas City team does seem to be finding itself. They've been integrating some new pieces into that offense. But the Chiefs just keep marching on, and they can almost sew up. I mean, somebody did the math on this. They can almost sew up the AFC West pretty close, depending on what else happens, with a win against the Chargers coming up on Sunday. I'm looking now. I think that that game may have been flexed out of Sunday night. Okay, so it's been flexed. No, it's, it's 
It's into Sunday night. Oh, football. it got flexed it into was, Sunday night football. Yeah, okay, it was a, the late afternoon game. They flexed it into Sunday okay, night football. Okay, because the, the, on the Pro uh, yeah. Football Focus, I thought I I heard that it was in on Sunday night football, but it still has the the old kickoff time here. So maybe getting I man, I hate to say it, but I I think that Denver Broncos game, I think that's going to get flexed out of Sunday night football. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen on, on the eleventh, but not because of Kansas City, but solely because man, of Denver. Denver. Uh, remember when we thought at the beginning of the year like man the AFC West is going to be the best division in football going to be so good top to bottom like all four teams can win and then the Broncos and the Raiders go you know totally in the tank in the toilet Uh, I think the Rams are still a pretty good team but um, what do you think about this Kansas City team that tries to continue finding itself defensively pretty good against the Titans okay against the Jaguars but not exactly blowing people out but still stacking wins and on a three-game winning streak well, first off, uh, the the Broncos are terrible, um, <laughs> and the Russell Wilson signing might be the worst free agent signing in the history of the NFL. Uh, and then the Raiders are in free fall. Worse than the how Josh NFL. I don't know. I don't know how Josh McDaniel still has a job because uh, wow, he just got beat by, I have not paid attention to the Broncos, but yeah, fifty-seven percent, seven touches, five interceptions yeah. to eight games. That is not exactly what it's I would bad. call uh, vintage Russell Wilson. It's bad. And then Josh McDaniels uh, just lost to the Colts, which I don't know if you noticed. Is Jeff Saturday the Colts are being coached coach. by Chef Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and so things are really bad in Las Not Vegas. Not great, Bob. But then, right. But then, of course, the, the Chargers are pretty banged up, too. And um, I don't think they get a, a lot of credit for playing the way that they've had. They have played uh, with all the injuries that they've got. But um, regardless of that, your initial question about Kansas City. Yeah, you know, I think that first off, the narrative that uh, Patrick Mahomes can't survive without Tyreek Hill. That narrative is yeah, done. It's, it's over yeah. with. It, I mean, from a, from a purely statistical point of view, Patrick Mahomes is having his best season, uh, and that's without Tyreek Hill. Uh, and so he's he's had the opportunity to spread the ball around, find these new targets, utilize their talents and what they bring to the table. Uh, the The game against Tennessee, they got the win. They honestly probably should have lost that game. But that's the way it typically goes against the Titans. The Titans are a terrible matchup for Kansas City. They always have been. As long as Mike Vrabel is that coach, Mike Vrabel knows how to scheme defensively against the Kansas City Chiefs. He always has. I think of there was a playoff game that the Titans won against Kansas City a few years ago um, because of the the defensive scheme that Mike Vrabel implements. And so I wasn't super shocked that it was going to be a dogfight. I didn't understand the line. The line, I think at one point, was like 13 points or something uh, in, in Kansas City's favor. I'm like, what are we talking about here? The Titans are five and two. Yeah, you know, I think and, and the like strength they lead of schedule, their, the, their strength of schedule is is really bad. I think that's, but yeah, I mean, if you were brave enough to jump on it, then yeah, you look like a like a like people who set the line look like total morons for sure. Yeah, uh, and, and but Kansas City did a good job in that second half of adjusting to Derrick Henry. That that's the only source of offense that Tennessee has uh, is Derrick Henry. Malik Willis started that game at quarterback. Didn't complete a single pass to a single wide receiver. He's a little, uh, so he's not they, quite ready. Not a finished product. So they could they could absolutely stack the box and sell out to stop Derrick Henry, and that's what they did. And ultimately, Kansas City they're able to to pull out the victory. You are what your record says you are. They get a win. You move on. You survive in advance. Um, it wasn't a great offensive outing. Any time that Patrick Mahomes has to throw the ball sixty eight times or whatever it was you're probably off your game plan a little bit you like seeing him throw the football but maybe not that many times there there were 
significant concerns about the Chiefs running game uh, coming out of that Tennessee game. There was not a single running back that logged more than five yards rushing. That's bad. That's really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, and and then you enter into bad. you enter into the Jacksonville game. Now, of course, Tennessee has a really good run defense, um, and they, they were able to bottle all those guys up. But then you get into the Jacksonville game, and it started off kind of the same way. Isaiah Pacheco fumbled the football. Uh, of course, they go right Ugh. back to him. And he's fairly effective. He gets 82 yards on 16 carries. But I think something that's concerning, it looks to me, Blake, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Clyde edwards Lair may be fully benched at this point. Like, he, he is not a part of this offense. He had no carries for no yards against Jacksonville. He had one target in the passing game. I believe he played four snaps total. He's a former first-round draft pick. What is going on? He had two targets to correct you, okay. so an early correction there. Tommy, uh, however, to I, I corrected you, but to not disagree with your point, I forgot that he was on the team, to be honest. Yeah. like I forgot that he didn't play in that Jacksonville game. That's how little consideration I gave to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, yeah, his absence is monstrous. And he, even the couple, you know, they, they worked a couple of plays for Kadarius Tony that were effective. I mean, he ran twice for 33 yeah. yards. So those plays worked. He was able to get a touchdown, four receptions, 57 yards. So there were some things with Kadarius Tony that I think were very good. Uh, there were, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling. I think that was his first touchdown as a chief that he finally got. Um, man, we sure hope that Juju Smith Schuster is going to be healthy and be able to return but how is that not a penalty that absolutely is it's, egregious it's hilarious it's hilarious how they will call the player safety is never more important than when the chiefs are tackling a quarterback but when a pardon my french real quick when the nfl says they care about player safety it's bullshit it's garbage it's flat out bullshit it's it's gar it, it's garbage and i mean I was looking at the play, and I was like, well, maybe they ate a football, whatever. You know, you look at the play, it's like, no, that's it's a crown on crown. He hit him right here with his helmet. What, what are we doing? And then the Chiefs get penalized for tackling Derek Carr, who is literally a runner on the play because he landed his protection in the pocket, even though he's a runner. What? Like how and the fans that has got to be it's got to be a reviewable play now of course I've, I'm oh, on record screw saying that I don't, up I don't trust the, the the referee crew to get it right ever but at least you can show the 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 intent to want to try to fix it by going to the a booth review or something um, because literally you don't have to like I know in the, in the college game there's the targeting rule and p the guys get tossed and like whatever and people hate uh, it I get it. I'm not totally on board with that because you're judging uh, intent and that sort of thing. It's kind of subjective. This is not a subjective thing. If the if the helmet touches another helmet, that is a penalty. I mean, I don't necessarily think that you need to toss the guy. He didn't make but a it's, football that's not, move. You don't have to worry about the spirit of the rule. You don't have to worry about anything subjective, the intent behind it. If the helmet touches another helmet, that is a penalty. Yeah. As simple as that, cut and dry. It's objective. It, it's easy. What are we doing? I don't – yeah, like it's – and to, to be a contrarian, it's it obviously is different when you are an offensive ball carrier. If you're a running back and you're running, you know, and the running back 
lowers the helmet. You know, offensive players do that too, and I don't think that they should be allowed to do that. I don't have a problem in that situation, but this is totally so clear-cut where he's coming down. He has no no chance to protect himself at all. And I mean, I'm not a guy that says, you know, oh, don't tackle them at their knees. Don't tackle them by, you know, like as long as it's not the head, I'm pretty much okay with it. Although there are a lot of receivers who will say, I'd much rather have a concussion than have somebody rip my knee to shreds because there's no way that I know if I'm going to get that knee back to 100% ever. We, we don't know that. It is also hilarious that the NFL officiating Twitter at NFL officiating the pinned tweet is this garbage explanation from the Raiders and Chiefs back on October 10th. But do they have anything Ridiculous. about this play? Uh, no, they they don't have anything about this play. So that that that's great. Um, back to Clyde Edwards-Helaire in our regularly scheduled programming. I think you're right because obviously they're not using him in the offense. They don't trust him in the offense. I mean, you look back at what he has done this year. I mean, he has in three of the last four games for Kansas City, he has zero receiving yards. In three of the four last games for Kansas City, and in all four of the last games for Kansas City, he has two or less targets. He has no yards in three of the last four. And in the last two, he has run for a total of four times for five yards. That's it. He has not carried the ball over 10 times more than once this season, and that was against Tampa Bay. And he was effective in that game, by the way. But for whatever reason, you know, I think the CEH experiment might be over. Now, maybe Eric Bieniemy and, you know, maybe they were scheming against him and they knew, well, we got to put in Pacheco. He's going to be the guy. Or maybe, you know, Pacheco is just out earning him and reps in practice. I don't know. But, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I literally forgot he wasn't playing. That is how absent and yeah. much of a non-factor he's been this year. He has you know, three rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns. He has scored one touchdown. Or, sorry, two touchdowns. He had two against. He had one receiving. No, you know, he only had one touchdown. He has one touchdown in the last month. One touchdown. Yeah. Um, I love Brett Veach, and I love Andy Reid. But I think it's fair to be critical. First round pick uh, at times. He this he's not it. Never ever 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 drafted running back in the first round. Um, I don't care. Next I don't Derek care Henry. If it's Sean Alexander. I don't care if it's whoever. Uh, you Henry? don't do it. I don't care. If, yeah, you don't do it. Um, because I take Derek Henry. In the and first I'll tell round. you why. Be- because you can find a quality back in the seventh round. You can find a quality back. What round was in, as an undrafted free agent, um, I I never understood. I go all the way back to when they drafted him on draft day. We Weston and I did this show, and I said, "Why in the world would they use that draft capital on a running back when there are other needs defensively?" Um, it was a nice new shiny weapon for Patrick Mahomes. I get it, I understand it, but he hasn't produced. And a seventh round draft pick in Isaiah Pacheco is outgaining him, out carrying him and outworking him. And so they there's an option that Kansas City can pick up at the end of the year. I would be shocked if they pick it up. Yeah, at this point that that would be unless something changes drastically down the stretch. Um Derrick Henry by the way was a second round draft pick, 45th overall. Uh, Kansas City, looking ahead here, as we mentioned, they have got uh, that Sunday night game coming up 
against the Chargers uh, with a chance to, you know, essentially sew up the division. They've still got the Broncos. God, they still have to play the Broncos twice. We got some bad football coming up, although the Chiefs at times (laughs) this year, I mean, the Chiefs lost to the Colts. So, I mean, this is not a Chiefs team that can just roll it out, I think, like maybe some past years can. Um, That Cincinnati Bengals game is going to be very interesting. The Chiefs are basically on the road for four out of the next five games, but at the Chargers coming up on Sunday night, any thoughts about that? For me, it's hard to get you know too amped up about this game just based on how injured Los Angeles has been over the last you know the first the whole first half of the season basically. Yeah, it does sound like that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams both have returned to practice this week, uh, and those are Justin Herbert's two top targets. Uh, and so that's going to be something the Bears watching. I think the secondary for Kansas City will be tested. Um, unlike what we've seen the last couple of weeks. They weren't tested really against Tennessee. They weren't really tested against Jacksonville as much, Uh, but they're going to be tested. And it helps out quite a bit that cornerback Trent McDuffie is back, the rookie, uh, because he can make an impact right away. Uh, And so looking forward to seeing that. And then defensively, um, I was really impressed with the amount of pressure that Kansas City got on Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville's offensive line is not good, uh, but they I think they had four or five sacks on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Frank Clark returns this week, but I'm not sure that's a huge impact addition because I thought that George Karloftis and Carlos Dunlap both played really well against Jacksonville. So that'll be interesting to see the way that the snaps rotate with those guys. And then on the offensive side of the ball, uh, thank God that Brett Veach, you know, I was critical of him a minute ago, but thank God he went out and (laughs) traded for Kadarius Toney because with the injury uh, to McCole Hardman, who didn't play last week, uh, and then Juju going out with his concussion, they needed Kadarius Toney. And we talked about it on this show that we thought that the Toney trade was probably more for the long term for Kansas City in the future. But they need him in the short term, too. He got his first NFL touchdown last week. Uh, I would expect to see him getting more and more involved with the kind of overall raw talent that he has. Of course, Sunday Night Football, you can watch that on NBC. We will wrap things up today with Wichita State men's basketball. The Shockers open up the season with their exhibition over the Newman Jets. The Jets... Kind of up to the task. They were down big early, but were able to claw to within single digits using a late run. But the Shockers took care of business in the exhibition. It was a 79-55 win for the Shockers against Central Arkansas. So you're feeling pretty good as Alcorn State comes to town for the salute to service on Saturday, November 12th. And... Well, uh, that didn't exactly go how a money game is supposed to go. A 66-57 loss to Alcorn State, and almost the, the audio and the thoughts of the players and the coaches after the game were almost worse than what you saw on the floor because, to a man, they all basically admitted, we just didn't care enough in practice this week. Uh, maybe understandable. It is Alcorn State, not somebody that you're supposed to get jazzed up for. It's not How- understandable. However, for a Wichita State program that believes that they are going to be a team that can win the AAC, the team that is among the college basketball elite, it was stunning to see Alcorn State put 38 points on the board in the second half. They shot 54% from the field in the second half. Meanwhile, Wichita State was basically dared to shoot threes the entire night. Alcorn State packed it in the lane, and the Shockers apparently cannot make a three. 
Sixteen uh, percent. It was 16%. really bad, uh, and you know they they only turned Alcorn State over eleven times. Alcorn State, as I mentioned, they shot sixteen percent better than they did in the first half. First half, at least the Shocker defense held them to thirty eight percent, but in the second half. Boy, did Alcorn State come ready to play, and now, obviously, there are all kinds of questions about this Wichita State team. Yeah, I've got egg on my face uh, today because in our college basketball preview two weeks ago, um, I said, and I I don't remember if you agreed with me. uh, It doesn't really matter because I'm talking about me right now. Um, (laughs) I said that— If if it was a bad opinion, then I don't agree with you. Okay, fair enough. But I I went on record— saying that there was zero reason to panic about Isaac Brown in Wichita State. Are you um, walking that back? I am. Two weeks into the season, I'm walking it back. That w- Wow. Yeah, there. it is absolutely time to panic. That loss was completely unacceptable. And it wasn't just the loss. The reason why I'm walking it back right now and the reason why I'm concerned is the way that they lost. There was no intensity. There was no passion. There was no toughness. The Shockers played soft. They looked soft. They had a five-minute run di- where they outscored. They, they had one like yeah, a, that was it. They had like uh, an eleven four, nothing. It was like fourteen nothing. Yeah, yeah. They had a five-minute stretch where they dominated, and the rest of the, outside I, of that, Alcorn, Alcorn State just dominated. I think Taylor Eldridge um, said that they outscored them by twenty-three in the other thirty-five minutes. Yeah, and um, look, this Shocker program was built on the foundation of toughness and tenacity and uh, intensity and all of that. Wichita State showed none of that against Alcorn State. None of it. And even going back to the Central Arkansas game, Blake, they won that game and they won it comfortably, but they still almost got out-rebounded by Central Arkansas. They absolutely got out-rebounded by Alcorn State. by, uh, By a SWAC team. A team from the exactly. SWAC. Completely unacceptable. Um, there's a lot, and I want to I want to throw it to you to get your take on it. There's more I want to say about Isaac Brown in this program and the, the way it's going and a warning uh, to Isaac Brown and the Shocker faithful. Um, but I'll, warning. I'll say that in a minute. I want to get I want to get your take. On I mean, it, it, to me, it's incredible that you can show up and after the game. Your players are saying, "Well, we didn't. We just didn't care. We just yeah. did. We just we just didn't have a good week of practice. You know, we we didn't go hard in practice. It's like, man. I mean, this is the time of year where you're supposed to be like putting stuff in. You're learning new plays. You're kind. Of, you're trying to establish. Say what defense. you will about Greg Marshall, and I'm not a Greg Marshall fan. I'm on record as saying that." His team's he always playing had hard. his team ready to go. They, they, he always, even if they didn't have a good week of practice, you never heard the players say we had a bad week of practice. Like that was never the case. No, and I think that there were times when he said, "Hey, we didn't practice very well this week." And they, there were times when they probably, you know, they were as, you know, as Tony Kornheiser likes to say, they were smelling themselves a little bit, and they would show yeah. up because there was a number of times, even when the Shockers were really good and they were like down at the half to Air Force, you're like, "What in the hell is going on?" But they rally. You, you knew that. You knew that if they weren't the most talented team, they they weren't going to get outworked. No, right? They weren't going to get out hustled. That was that was not the way that that foundation was built, and that's what we saw against Alcorn State. They just, yeah. I mean, I think somebody said somebody was quoted in the paper like 
they just wanted it more. And, and, and Wichita yeah. State just didn't didn't care. D- 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 that's the only way I could say it is they just looked lackadaisical, just kind of not interested in playing, which is shocking. You know, I, I can't say that that's something that I have seen. It's totally opposite from a couple of years ago when, you know, Isaac Brown is – thought of, I mean, what's the thing that everybody says about Isaac Brown? He's a player's coach. Players love to play for Isaac Brown. We saw that. He was the coach of the year. The guys, when, when he got announced by Darren Boatwright as getting the job, they mobbed him, and those guys, I mean, they yeah. fought for him to get that job. It's interesting that a year later, those guys that fought for him to get that job, after the season, Dexter Dennis, Udeze, some of those guys, they transfer out, they leave, Etienne goes to the draft, so the guys that want him to get the job don't want to stay for him, and then these new guys coming in are just not playing that hard for him. I have one other thing to say about Wichita State, but I want to get your thought, your your warning first. Yeah, so I feel like the only way that I can cut them a little bit of slack is that it's still super early and the team is still so new that it's going to take some time to gel. The two returners in Craig Porter Jr. and Kenny Poto, they're both being asked to do significantly more than what they did a year ago. Craig Porter Jr. was a role player last year, and now he's the unquestioned leader. And so it's going to take some time uh, for him to fill those shoes a little bit. That's about the only Silver lining, I guess, is that a team in November oftentimes is a lot different than the team that we see in February or March. However, that being said, my warning is simply this. I grew up in Wichita. I grew up in the late 80s and throughout the 90s when Wichita State basketball was really, really bad. Really bad. Nobody came to, I guess it was Henry Levitt Arena back then. Nobody came to the Roundhouse back then. Um, you could literally walk in and watch the game and pretty much sit wherever you wanted. It was really bad for a long time. Um, the worst thing, and I, I can't take credit for this. This was my co-host on Sports Daily, Jacob Albrock, who said this. The worst possible thing that can happen to the fan base is apathy. Because if they don't care, it, takes, it makes it really difficult to get fans back. And Isaac Brown and this program are standing at the precipice of that happening. Could the Shocker team lose 20 games this year? Yeah, I think they probably could. I don't know if they will, but yeah, I think they they could lose 20 games. You're kind of at a crossroads right now in this program. It can go one of two directions. You can either go completely off the cliff or you can respond. And I would like to think, I've got enough faith in Isaac Brown to think that he will respond and the team will respond, but we don't know that. There's a lot of unknowns. So they've got to really make sure that they're going in the right direction because you're you're tiptoeing really close to a world of apathy with the fan base. With Isaac Brown, his demeanor is part of the reason why he got the job. Wichita State went away from Greg Marshall, who was incredibly intense, and all the negative things you want to say about him. They might have overcorrected a little bit by going to Isaac Brown, who sure. was like the nicest, soft-spoken guy you'll ever meet. But... So I mean, sometimes the coach's personality trickles down to the team. And unfortunately, in this case, you're really close to getting having it trickle down to the fan base. So they've got to respond, and they've got to do it right now. Well, well, here's the other thing that I was going to say about this, and this was something that a lot of people remarked on in that Central Arkansas game, which was the season opener, the regulation opener for Wichita State basketball. So you're thinking, man, okay, people are going to be jacked up to finally watch Wichita State play. Nope. Attendance. 6,954. They didn't even crack 9,000 in the Alcorn State game. Yeah. 
the, this the is lowest, a one of the, the fan, fan bases home that opener since 1995. They pride themselves on being, you know, not just one of the best fan bases in Kansas college basketball, one of the big great fan bases in the country. To me, for the season opener, that means you're sold out. So, yeah. and I think the I think the other um, interesting point, the one thing to keep an eye on too. Remember, there's a brand new athletic director in Kevin Saul. He was not the one that hired Isaac Brown, nope. and he's been on record saying that part of his job is to evaluate all the programs, and that includes men's basketball. Yeah, and probably you know, more so than any other program. You you have to. I mean, Kevin Saul has to sign a check for seventy grand to a team that just whoop your tail at home. It's not a good time right now. No. You're teetering on the edge. It, the program's at a crossroads. Got to get it fixed. And you don't have the luxury of time. You got to get it fixed right now. Yeah, well, and, and not only that, but, you know, there's no guarantee that the attendance is going to get better. Uh, it's a road no. match coming up at Richmond for uh, for the Shockers. And then they've got the Hall of Fame Classic against Grand Canyon. You and I are San Francisco. The Shockers are not back at home until a two-game homestand against Tarleton State and Missouri coming up on the 26th and the 29th. That game on Thursday will be uh, viewable on ESPN Plus, 6 o'clock tip-off at Richmond. Time for our last piece of business here as our voices both try to leave us. It is time to hit the music <laughs> and go around Wichita for a look at our Wichita Whip Around, some stories from the Wichita area that maybe you might have missed this week. So, Tommy, we will start with you, your Wichita Whip Around story. Yeah, I got to give a, a quick update on the start of the season for the Wichita Thunder hockey team. Uh, Ten games in to the season for the Thunder, they are seven two and one, uh, so a solid start for the Thunder. Uh, they have not lost at home since the home opener on October twenty second. Uh, they've won every other home game. The last weekend for the Thunder, they've had three games in three nights and won all three games, two of which were in overtime. Uh, the game on Saturday against Iowa was at Interest Bank Arena. The Thunder, they were down 2-0 with four minutes to go in the third period. The Thunder scored two goals in the final four minutes to force overtime and then scored just a few seconds into overtime to win the game. Uh, and so the Thunder off to a great start so far this season. Strauss Mann, who was the, uh, the rookie goaltender for the Thunder, was named the ECHL Rookie of the Month. Uh, he has since been called up to the AAA team for the San Jose Sharks, which is the San Jose Barracuda. Uh, so congrats to him on that. Uh, but yeah, overall, a really solid start to the to the season for the Thunder. Well, for me, it's going to be the KCAC in terms of football. The KCAC has wrapped their football uh, their football uh, season, and two of the teams are going into the championship series. Three teams tying for the top of the uh, of the KCAC: Avila, Bethel, and your Southwestern Mound Builders. All finished at nine and one. Four KCAC teams are ranked in the top twenty-five. So, but this this program and this conference has so flipped the narrative from when I came down of. KCAC is like, well, they've only, they're just one team. They, there's no depth there. They, they're just not that good compared to other programs and other conferences like the Great Plains Athletic Conference. 
Bethel got left out. Bethel, the number 13 team in the country, they are not going to be bowling. Kansas Wesleyan at number 25. Southwestern is in action. They will be going to play Benedictine on the road, the number six team in the country. That is Saturday in the championship series for a noon kickoff. And Avila, one of the newcomers to this conference, they're going to be at Indiana Wesleyan University, the number five team in the country. I know you have to be very, very excited for some November football that matters for the Jinx. Yeah, I, looking forward to that. Um, I had a chance. I ran into the the play-by-play uh, commentator for Southwestern uh, over the weekend, was talking to him, and I did color commentary with him for a long time. And uh, we were talking, and and uh, I said, you know, when you and I called these games 15 years ago, uh, this team was really bad. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, they were really bad. Uh, but they they've got a, a great culture there now, where they are they've consistently finished near the top of the KCAC for the last several years. Uh, and so, really exciting to see them uh, in the playoff hunt. And really, not only that, the other thing we we mentioned and talked about is that it was unheard of back then. For the KCAC to have multiple representatives like, in the national tournament, like two top twenty-five te- teams out of the KCAC, yeah. get yeah, real it's crazy. Uh, so hats off to the entire conference, uh, and that's a testament also to Scott Crawford and what he's built as the KCAC commissioner. Yeah, without a doubt, the fact that that the the quality of play in the conference has increased so much so dramatically even from just when I've started I've only been here a decade and I came from the GPAC and people told me about the KCAC I was like okay but have you heard of uh, have you heard of Morningside have you heard of Northwestern and Sioux Falls and you know Sioux Falls at that time was basically running the GPAC then they left and went D1 Morningside's now the number one team Northwestern's still in the top 10 so that conference is still really good but now you have a conference in the KCAC you're like yeah, they're kind of peers. They're kind of equals now. And yeah. and d- talking about Southwestern College, I mean, I was doing football on the KCAC network not God, four or five years ago. And yeah, that when you got that Southwestern game on there, you pretty much knew like, well, Southwestern is going to get beat by about forty. So it has. Right. It's been a quick turnaround for the mound builders. So congratulations to them and all three of the teams that split the regular. I don't know how they decided who won. I assume that they all get a third of the trophy, but whatever. Three really elite teams in the KCAC this year. Uh, Tommy, anything else that we missed? Additions, corrections, or attractions for this week's show? Yeah, I've got a couple of additions. Uh, first off, the, the news came down a couple of hours before we started to record the show that John Sherman, the, the Royals owner, announced his plans for a new downtown stadium. This was not a surprise. This is something that John Sherman has openly talked about for a while, uh, but it's to the point now where there are actual artist renderings and what the, the stadium uh, will potentially look like in downtown KC. Uh, so that news came down uh, just a couple of hours ago. Mixed feelings on it, I think, from the the fan base overall. Um, some people think it's going to be neat to have a, a stadium in downtown KC, but others have a you know special place in their heart for for the K. Yeah, and the, well, the Truman Sports Complex as well. And the thing that I don't understand is they just put in all the money like 10 or 15 years ago. They did this huge thing like, hey, the K needs to be updated, needs to be modernized, and we were like, yeah, it, it does, and so they put in all these new things. They made it really nice. Everybody raves about how nice the ballpark is. Like, If you want to go downtown, I get it. I understand at some point you can do that. But 
why do it so soon after they just spent the money when I don't hear anybody telling, I don't hear anybody saying like, oh, the K is a dump. We hate the guy. No, it's not going to yeah, the K. Yeah, it's not a dump. It's not, I, I don't mind going to the K. It's a fine stadium. Uh, there, there's no issues with it other than the location of the Truman Sports Complex. Um, and there's just, there's not a lot around it. And No, there's not. You know, if you've... If you've got a, a stadium that's in the heart of downtown, um, I think John Sherman sees the revenue potential there. And and one of the things in the announcement was just the overall, like, I don't know what he called it, the baseball village or whatever with hotels and dining. And I mean, that's the new, that's the new thing, right? You're not just building a stadium, you're building an entire entertainment district basically. And so that is, that's, that's part of the plan as well. So I understand it. Um, I don't have, I think one thing that, that makes this a little bit easier to swallow, I don't have any emotional connection to the K. I do have an emotional connection to Arrowhead, sure, but I, I don't have an emotional connection necessarily to the K. And I'm not sure a lot of people there think of Kauffman Stadium, I don't know, like Cubs fans think of Wrigley Field or Red Sox fans think of Fenway. Like it's a different kind of no, mentality. No, I, I don't think so. So, you know, I'm not sure that it's like the overall end of the world. Like are people going to be heartbroken if Kauffman Stadium goes away? Maybe initially for a minute. And then I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, it, it's just it, it's interesting because you know the stadium was built in a different time where it's like okay, well, let's just yeah. put it away so that way you know there's not a bunch of traffic, it's not congested anything, right. and now it's like well, let's put it inside now that then let's put it all the way back. Then let's put, yeah. yeah, then there's things around it that people can do. Anything and I think else the other you thing that's really yeah, I was just going to mention the the other thing that's really interesting about this in John Sherman's proposal is that apparently there's not any kind of tax increase for residents in that county. It's a private public partnership. I don't exactly know what that means, but that was one of the things that he talked about. Um, Cause I can imagine that if it went up to a vote, um, I'm sure a lot of voters would probably be like, yeah, no, we're not going to pay more in taxes while we already have a perfectly good stadium in Kaufman. The other thing I wanted to bring up uh, just real quick, I feel like we would be remiss uh, to not at least mention where we're at in high school football playoffs. Sure. Um, we're into that point where are we, are we at the sub-state round? Is that what's coming up this weekend? Yeah. Uh, yes. This will be the sub-state. Sectionals were last weekend, right? Yes. Sectional, regional, sectional. God, the, the way that they name everything is, but yes, this should be the sub-state round and the championships. Uh, I think the lower classes will have their championships this week. I'm talking like eight-man, the two divisions yeah. of eight-man or 1A, whatever they call that. And then all the rest of the championships will be this Saturday after Thanksgiving, as is traditional here in Kansas. How about having all these state championship games in one place? early in the day? Well, yeah, but early earlier in the day on that Saturday after Thanksgiving and they'll all be wrapped up and done by the time you've got the Sunflower Showdown with KU and K-State that night. Like, that's pretty cool. That would that's be nice. That's the way that it should always be. And if you've got it all in one location, too, even better at that point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, taking a look at, at that bracket, I mean, you've, you've got, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I look at that bracket. I don't really see a lot that, like surprises me like no. it's kind of like all right i kind of expected all this to happen yeah the, the, there's not a lot of surprises that you know or cin cinderella stories don't come along that that yeah. often you don't get our kansas city you know making an unbelievable run to the finals that doesn't happen every year uh, my addition is going to be the newman jets men's basketball team they are opening up fugate gymnasium for the first time uh, that is coming up tonight seven o'clock they are welcoming sterling college in for an exhibition the newman women don't have their home opener until 
next week. That'll be on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, but the Newman Jets are uh, back in action and finally playing a home game after uh, some road games to start the season. 7 o'clock against Sterling on Wednesday uh, tonight, so I I am very interested to see the Newman Jets in person with my own eyes for the first time. That is our show. As Tommy mentioned, we've got two more shows left here in calendar year 2022 here on Season 4. We'll come back with Season 4 in January. The second week of January is the plan right now, so we're off for Thanksgiving. We will come back with a breakdown of the Sunflower Showdown is obviously going to be our main point of emphasis on next week's show. Of course, we'll get you caught up on the Chiefs, and we'll see if the Shockers can turn it around as well. You can follow us on CogPod on Twitter. Of course, like, share, and subscribe. We appreciate all of the follows on our social media. Tommy, if people want to follow you, how can they do that on social media for our beloved audio listeners? Yeah, assuming that uh, Twitter doesn't crash in the next, I don't know, however long. Sure. Um, who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. I'm tweeting until the end. I don't know, care who's owning it. All right. Uh, I'm going down with the ship. Absolutely. You know, it took me so long to get the two social media platforms that I have, and now they're not even relevant Facebook and Twitter. I'm not going to something else. So find me on Twitter at BE Crips and, of course, at CogPod for the show. We'll see you next week and happy Thanksgiving from those of us here at Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.